You're listening to. Whoa! Welcome back to Books and Boba, a book club and podcast between books by Asian and Asian American authors. My name is Mervyn Yu. And I'm Rira Yu. And we are here to discuss our July book club pick, A Tale for the Time Being by Ruth Ozeki. Um, apologies for uh, coming at you a little bit later this month. Uh, we It's been a busy month. It's been Asian it's August. Asian August. Um, lots of stuff going on. Uh, I myself have been... <laughs> I'm going to be watching Crazy Rich Agents for like the fourth time. Like the fourth tonight. time, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> still good, though. It's still good. Um, they had a really great. So, we're recording this on Wednesday, um, August the 8th, which is Chinese Father's Day. Oh, FYI. I didn't know that. You yeah. guys had like a separate. Father's well, because um, eight is ba in Chinese. Oh, and okay. ba ba is oh, I get what it. we sometimes okay. call dad. So, um, it's an unofficial holiday that's only really celebrated in Chinese like Mandarin speaking countries mm-hmm. um, but yeah happy birthday to oh no happy, happy birthday happy Father's Day to all the dads out there happy Chinese Father's Day that is mm-hmm. um, but yeah yes last night was the Crazy Rich Asians premiere um, it looked great very glamorous oh really I have not seen any pictures because I've just been on a media blackout so, <laughs> so they I had wouldn't a, know they had a jade carpet and everyone was like dressed to the nines and it was, it was it's what you like everyone just looked so good so so fashion is it is it like that wedding scene in Crazy Rich Asians yes okay yes. okay yes. yes I can picture it <laughs> um so yeah we're getting closer to oh speaking of Crazy Rich Asians that is going to be our book club pick for this month, this August. Month, yeah. um, and we are planning to get some people together for To All the Boys I've Loved Before. Because I, yeah. re- I really want to talk about it with <laughs> a bunch of people who have read it. Because I read the first book and then I immediately bought the second book the same day. I was like, I need it. <laughs> yeah, that one's coming out on Friday. Um, probably it's either going to be tomorrow as of the day you hear this or it's already out. Since. Yeah. But uh Yeah. Big week for Asians in media. Yes. Um, and yeah, well, we can also dive into the movie during our book club discussion at the end of the month. Too, I, I feel like it's bit. unavoidable. <laughs> like, really. So that'll be your commentary from Books and Bulba. But we're not here today to talk about Crazy Rich Asians. We're here to talk about a tale for the time being. Um, quick spoiler warning. We're going to be talking about the story at length in depth. So if you have not read it, there will be spoilers. And also a trigger warning that I realized now we should have probably given you when we assigned this book yeah, last yeah. month. Yeah, I'm a little bit peeved by that, <laughs> by the way. Like, literally everyone who like knows that I... Uh, I like to read a lot. They've been recommending this book. They're like, like a tale for the time being. It's so essential to Asian American literature. And I do agree. But I do wish that uh, some people told me about uh, some of the trigger warnings in this book because yeah. I would have been more mentally prepared. Yeah. Um, this book involves uh, suicide and bullying. Um, two of Rira's biggest um, uh, triggers. Yeah. <laughs> Um, 
And yeah, so you have, we're going to be discussing, we're not going to go at length about those themes, but um, just to warn that they are there. Uh, so for those of you who haven't read the book yet or are listening to us before reading the book, um, just uh, be just, aware. Yeah, just be aware. Yeah. Um, and as always, we're going to start with the jacket description. Yeah. On a remote island in the Pacific Northwest, a Hello Kitty lunchbox washes up on the beach. Tucked inside is the diary of a 16-year-old Japanese girl named Nao Yatsutani. Ruth, a writer who finds the lunchbox, suspects that it is debris from Japan's 2011 tsunami. When she begins to read the diary, Ruth quickly finds herself drawn into the mystery of Nao's fate. Meanwhile in Tokyo, Nao, uprooted from her home in the U.S., bullied at school, and watching her parents spiral deeper into disaster, has decided to end her life. But first she wants to recount the story of her great-grandmother, a 104-year-old Zen Buddhist nun in the pages of her secret diary. Yeah. So I guess right off the bat, what the book jacket description tells you, this is a dual narrative type of story. Mm-hmm. And it's um, it's balanced between, so it, it, it alternates between um, Nao's diary mm-hmm. and Ruth's story. And so Nao is a, I guess Japanese American. She girl? yeah, she is a Japanese American girl who moves to Japan. Mm-hmm. And Ruth is a writer based loosely on Ruth, the author of the book. Yeah, yeah, like it. It's one of those narratives where the author puts themselves into the narrative. Yeah, but it's like the reason why it's written in third person is. Uh, according to Ruth Ozeki, the author, she wanted to have like this distance, so like she is able to like differentiate like like this is Ruth the character, and Ruth like the author is a little bit separated from it. I wonder if that was weird to write writing like a first person diary of a fake person and then a third person non diary of like yourself. Yeah, like uh, Ruth Ozeki started writing this uh, in the early 2000s. Like, I think she started in like 2006, and uh, she had she wrote now secret diary chapters, and uh, she wanted to have another character reading it, but she didn't know like who it was for. Mm-hmm. So she auditioned like maybe five or six characters, and she's like, I don't know, I guess this one. So she like went to her. Uh, <laughs> publisher and editor being like here's my draft and then the uh uh the tsunami happened Mm -hmm. and she thought that uh, the tsunami happened and then the fukushima nuclear disaster happened so by that point she said okay well my book is not relevant anymore because japan has completely changed since that event so she decided to go back and uh, rework her novel, and she was still stuck on who should be reading the uh, reading the diary. So her husband uh, recommended her to write herself in, saying like, "Okay, well, well, pretend that it's you reading the diary, and it's your reactions." And um, she was like, "Okay, I'll do that, but you also have to be in the book." <laughs> so Oliver in the book is actually a characterization of her real life husband. Is Oliver. he also named Oliver? Yes. Okay. <laughs> Does she very actually, very meta? By yeah. the way, I mean, it's it's not the first time we've read a book where an author has written them themselves into the book, mm-hmm. but it's it's I yeah it's it's you're talking about uh how how to live safely in a science fictional universe by Charles yeah, Yu, by Charles right? Yu who also which is another book that deals with like 
quantum mechanics and multiple like time travel and and things yeah like, I, I wonder if that's like a requirement to write yourself into a book you have to like mess with the laws of physics i I have yet to read a book that doesn't use <laughs> quantum mechanics for for meta narratives. But yeah. if anybody ha- knows of one, please uh, tell us in the Goodreads forums. What did you think about the way the book was written, though? Because I know um, Now's Diary in particular is written in a style that you have mentioned that you're not a fan yeah, of. I'm, I'm not a fan of stream of consciousness, but... Um, I don't know. I really liked Now's narrative. I think I liked Now's narrative more than Ruth's perspective. Mm. Because with Now, I feel, um, I don't know, like, because she's a 16-year-old girl, I found her thoughts fascinating. Because it's so different from what, like, like a woman in her 20s, 30s would think. And I feel like, teenagers like it's it's so hard being a kid nowadays and like well you can tell that she is a kid because of the way she perceives things and how self-centered she is yeah she she's a really self-centered character yeah. but also like she is someone who um you know she's a japanese american living in japan and it's a country that she really has no familiar familiarity yeah. uh with it and and you can you can relate to that, and it's like you're a kid, and you, yeah. you're like there's there's not that much control in your life, and the fact that like her parents didn't tell her <laughs> why they were moving to Japan, like that must have been like that must have sucked so yeah. much. Like imagine thinking that it's like it's like okay, like I I can move to Japan, but it's not going to be that much different. Like I'm sure like I'll make friends and like I'll have a normal school life. I mean that's what yeah that's what someone who doesn't understand doesn't understand cultural asians and asian americans would think right like we see a narrative of like fish out of water all the time but it's always like through the lens of like the white person or the mm-hmm. yeah the, of the white person going to a foreign country and fighting themselves or or an older person you yeah. know like um whereas like here is a character who is going to a place where everyone looks like them but they're not the same. Yeah, it's, it's similar to similar to like what we were in Pachinko too. Like, yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, yeah, and like with now, like you you can tell that she's a sixteen year old girl because she keeps mentioning Sunnyvale, which yeah. is where she's from. And as someone who uh, actually like me staying in Los Angeles, that's the longest I've stayed in one place in my really? entire life. Because um, I moved around almost like every two three years. Um, and like even in college, I came out here after three years. Mm. So, um, so I was just like, yeah, like I can understand like moving from like a, moving <laughs> to a different place, and uh, and like and like bef- and like when you move, you have like rose col- like rose tinted glasses of like the place that you used to live yeah. in. And is that, on- is that how you feel about New York? Yeah, actually, <laughs> like there are some there are some days where I'm like man, should I move back to New York? Like, I really miss it. But then I think about how terrible it is. I, like, I, th- I was like, well, what are the reasons why I shouldn't move back to New York? Okay, like the weather, the rodents. Oh, yeah, the trains suck now. So, so, and all of my friends are moving out here. So yeah. there's no reason for me to move back there. But You yeah. don't want to pay like twice what you're paying right now for, no, rent for no, a smaller place? No, definitely not. <laughs> I would not be able to afford to live in not even Brooklyn or <laughs> maybe perhaps Queens. But, but like 
East Queens. Yeah, like, like past yeah, <laughs> like my commute would be an hour and a half. It's better for me to live in Jersey by that point. Yeah, but yeah, like she has these rose-tinted glasses of Sunnyvale, and it's interesting. Because okay, so Ruth is about what fourteen, fifteen during the story, or during her her diary. Oh, you mean now? Because you just said Ruth. Sorry, yeah. um, it's interesting because so now it was about fourteen, fifteen while she was writing the diary, right? Mm-hmm. Just just like a year shy of sixteen, I think is what yeah. she mentioned. And it happened. It was and during her diary, nine eleven happens. So. I'm assuming that she's about my age because I was a sophomore in high school when 9-11 happened. Mm-hmm. Or was it a junior? I think I was a junior. Um, so she probably went to high school the same time I did. And um, by that time, Sunnyvale was very, very Asian. <laughs> like, Yeah, yeah. Um, I have a lot of friends from out there, like, you know, Homestead High School, Cupertino High School, like all that, like Limbrook. They have this whole, like, they have four or five major high schools there that are all pretty much like 80% Asian. Yeah, like so, that's funny because she mentions like when she was living in Sunnyvale, she was like the only Asian kid. Like, yeah. She's like, oh, like people think that j- being Japanese is cool in Sunnyvale. And when you move back to Japan, you're like, yeah. it's like nothing special because everyone's Japanese. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure she was probably one of the few Japanese people because I think Sunnyvale at that time is mostly Indian and Chinese. Yeah, 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 most likely. Yeah, yeah like... Um, what did you think about the title, like a tale for the time being? Yeah, they like cracked that, cracked that Pretty, open like in, in the, the first, first sentence. line of the. Of Wait, the what's book. the first sentence? I want to. Like, Hi, I'm now. I'm a time being, or something, something like that. Uh, my name is now, and I'm a time being. Do you know what a time being is? Well, if you give me a moment, I will tell you. A time being is someone who lives in time, and that means you and me and every one of us who is or was or ever will be. Which is some like highfalutin like teen bullshit when I first read it, but it also made the title make a little bit more sense, or at least it clarified what the title meant. Yeah, it's, it's not a tale for the time being; it's a tale for the time being. Well, I think it can go both ways, like a tale for the time being, as in now. Yeah, uh, now <laughs> she she makes fun of that. Uh, she has a joke there uh, yeah. in the book, but like tale for the time being now like you're present while you are reading this book and then a tale for a time being yeah a tale for a human and i mean the book does deal with um quantum mechanics like time and perception and multiple world theories schrodinger's cat like multiple states of being mm-hmm. um also a lot of zen there's a lot of like, yeah. zen buddhist uh uh not theories but like practices yeah i think the zen part is more like throughout the book, whereas the quantum mechanics don't really come into play till the end where they're kind of explaining mm-hmm. a lot of it. Um, I kind of found that a little bit, it took me out of the story because yeah. I, I, I kind of feel like the, um, a lot of the fourth act is Oliver explaining quantum mechanics to Ruth and it kind of bogged down the it kind of slowed things down for me too much I, I wasn't a huge fan of it even though it was interesting yeah. to think about I mean for me I f- the best parts for me was like reading Now's Secret Diary mm-hmm. and like I found myself very impatient being like <laughs> what happens and 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 I guess that's that's like the like that's like the 
point of the novel because because like Ruth is going through the same thing. She's like, "What happened?" and she's like yeah. looking up stuff on Google. It kind of reminded me of uh, watching Tara's house. Yeah, uh, where you have like the story going on, and then you have people commenting on the story on the side. Yeah, and like not only is she like anxious about what happens to the characters, her husband is like also invested. Yeah, also invested because <laughs> she's reading the, the diary to him. Like, so there's like multiple like stages or um, what's the right word? There's multiple um, levels of like consuming the story yeah like like, and and it's like really funny how the entire island because she lives on this island where there's like only like maybe 50 people yeah in canada yeah and then (laughs) everyone knows like where she got the diary what she's doing yeah and um and they're like constantly asking her about it so it's like oh everybody's kind of invested in this story and they're kind of wanting to know like what happened to this girl yeah and it it's really funny because like Ruth gets so caught up in it, um, she thinks that it's like happening present time. Yeah. But it actually like she wrote the book like before the tsunami, so so it's like like Oliver mentions that he's like, well, why are you in a rush yeah. to like find out whether she's okay or not? Because you know, like she would be <laughs> she would be Marvin's age by then. It's um, I mean, the whole like Schrodinger's cat experiment is there's many instances of that in the book right like um through roots not knowing if now is alive or dead um she's both alive and, and dead. dead um in like even even within like their actual cat who's i guess named schrodinger but they call him pesto or how's i i'm not sure but they yeah. call him pesto yeah. and that's the name that i kept thinking about <laughs> while i was reading it um, at one point, Pesto disappears, and they don't know if he's alive or dead because there are wolves. And uh, uh, what did you think about learning about like island life in the Pacific Northwest? I thought that was like you have all these like characters that are you have like the scavenger, you have the um, the nosy postal lady, yeah. you have uh, you have like the uh, French speaking person who lives yeah. in a cabin. Um, <laughs> I I thought. Like, it was an interesting parallel because she lives on an island where it's, like, not very populated and yeah. it's, like, very nosy neighbors. And, but, like, there's a community. There's, like, a closeness to it. Whereas, like, now lives in Tokyo, Japan, which then Japan's also an island. <laughs> and uh, it's, like, a densely populated city and uh, now feels like she's completely alone in her right. struggles. So it's, like, two completely different, uh, like, With situations. Forms of yeah, yeah, forms of isolation. So Ruth also moves to the island because she was it because of her mother or because of her husband? Uh, I think it was for both. Mm-hmm. Like she wanted to consolidate like all the sick people into one place, so she didn't have to like keep moving back and forth. She was actually from Manhattan, mm-hmm. and um, when Oliver, her husband, got sick, she was like, "Okay, well, I have to take care of my mother too." So, and her mother's going through Alzheimer's. Mm-hmm. So that is why they moved to uh, that island. Yeah, and you know Oliver really likes planting trees, and he's like really involved in um, how to protect the, the environment. It was like something, something culture, but basically he was preparing the Pacific Northwest for global warming. Saying yeah, that one day these will be palm trees. Yeah, right? or something like that. <laughs> um, 
But yeah, like for Ruth, uh, we are introduced to her um, as a, as a novelist who is trying to write a memoir of her late mother's life, and she is struggling to write her mother's memoir. Um, and you know, like a failed memoir is pretty much a novel because the thing is, like the mem- memoirs, you have to tell the truth, and mm-hmm. novels, you make shit up. Yeah. So, um, and she's. Also, like she also kind of has a writer's block uh, in writing like like actual fictional stories, and it, it's at this moment that she finds the Hello Kitty box, yeah. and it's like, oh, inspiration comes from <laughs> the strangest places, doesn't it? Um, I did like that as she was reading Now's diary, she was also putting the lessons learned from that diary into yeah. practice, like learning about how to um, zazen, zazen, which is I guess meditation. Yeah, it's like a form of meditation. <laughs> yeah. Um, I love that, like, that, that, um, passage where now was describing how this was, like, her grandmother's superpower, or superpower. superpower. <laughs> <laughs> I guess, um, now's grandmother is an- the other major character Jiko. in the story. Jiko. She is a 104-year-old, allegedly. Um, I don't think you ever learned her real age, or is 104 her real age? 104 is what she says, but yeah. like no one knows because she's the oldest person in their family. Yeah, and I guess she's a nun. I guess she's a, it's. I'm assuming it's Shinto or Buddhist. I'm, I, I'm pretty sure it's Buddhist because. Uh, but they also talked about like spirits and all things, which is a Shinto. Belief, yeah. Right? Maybe it's like mm, maybe it's like a weird hybrid. Yeah, because it's Asia's Japan. Full of weird hybrids. Yeah. Like when my family goes to temple, like we're not super religious, but. Um, the 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 religion quote unquote that we practice is kind of a mixture of ancestor worship and Buddhism, uh, because I don't think Buddhism, as it's like supposed to be supposed to be practiced quote, mm-hmm. also, quote unquote, deals with a lot of like praying. Right, it's just a lot yeah. more like reflection and meditation and giving up all worldly things. Yeah, like um, my family is super Christian, like <laughs> most Korean families. But when we do funerals and stuff like that, like that part was very familiar to me. Yeah, me too, actually. Yeah. yeah the, the funeral scene when, um, okay, spoilers. Uh, we warned you already. Yeah. Uh, when Jiko finally passes away at the end, um, like the cremation and the, the picking of bones with a chopstick, that's all some stuff that we, we did. Yeah. Yeah, like uh, we, for the most part, also like do cre- cremation mm-hmm. and um, yeah, like a lot of the the like the bowing with like the the portrait yeah. and also like uh, offering like food at the table. Like we do that too. Like for was it like Korean Thanksgiving? I'm not sure, but we have <laughs> we have it's one of it's either the Lunar New Year or uh, Korean or yeah, yeah. Mid Autumn Festival. But we. It, it's like a day where you clean the graves and you mm. like bow and you have like food set at the altar for the ghosts to yeah. to eat, which I find like really like really funny because if you're Christian, then it doesn't like yeah, correlate. Yeah, not supposed to come. But it's like so ingrained in the culture that like you just do it. I think for for Japanese, it's the Obong Festival, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And <laughs> it's it's funny because. Um, like Chinese families do, do the same thing. Like we we lay out stuff we, to like bring the the your loved ones back. And my aunt was watching Coco and saying, "Hey, Mexicans are just like us." <laughs> <laughs> oh my um, god! <laughs> but Mexicans are just like us. Oh wow. <laughs> um, there was a part of a so. Mm, I guess I want to talk about 
um, I guess let's talk about um, Nao's relationship with Jiko because that's a huge like that is what kind of heals her in a way like kind of um, yeah like yeah. it it's really what grounds her because yeah. she, you know she's a teenage girl and she's getting bullied at school and there are so many things out of control and you know her parents are unable to emotionally support her so mm. Jiko is the only grown-up who can like provide yeah. her that support and structure even those all in riddles but yeah you, you can I, what i loved about her passages about her relationship with Jiko is you can feel the the love and warmth and like yeah. the the need to like like you can tell Jiko has a plan to help yeah her great-granddaughter along and also it like it's really great that there there's like this one scene where Jiko asks her if she's angry mm-hmm. and then now just goes off she's like of course i'm angry and she like lists all the things that are happening in her life and she's like why are you asking me that it's like so obvious that i'm angry and she goes like she's like oh i didn't ask for me i asked for you yeah and that was a really poignant scene because she <clears throat> excuse me because she can't really unload all of that stuff on her dad she can't mm-hmm. unload of it unload it to her mom who is also kind of yeah yeah in a weird emotional spot as well so like yeah i feel like jiko gave her space and you know that's interesting because like her because now his apartment is like super tiny <laughs> and there's like no privacy but when she goes to her um, goes to Jiko's temple, there's yeah. like all the space. It's in the countryside, and like it is a way for her to like unleash a lot of. Her I anger. love that at first she was so like it's it's like your typical like summer vacation story. Where I was like, <laughs> I, I hate this. I don't want. There's no internet. There's no internet. There's no air conditioning. They don't need anything. <laughs> They're making me work. Yeah, and yeah. then you realize that like sometimes you just need to, like just because social media by then wouldn't have been as advanced advances now but at the same time like i remember how attached i was to aim and no trying to figure out where all my friends were like uh, back then which is which like she would have been around aim yeah aim time i mean she mentions blogs <laughs> and how sad it is she's like oh i decided to like write all my like Japanese advent- adventures uh, oh. on my blog and I would lie but you know I just realized that no one would even read my lies because <laughs> people just make blogs for oh. for themselves and, and like no one reads I remember all the emo shit I wrote in my blog oh, which man. no longer exists because I deleted it I used to uh, have I, I used to have a Zanga and uh, I didn't really write my feelings in it it was more <laughs> of a way for me to connect with a uh, k-pop fans because back then we were like an underground group (laughs) it was so hard to be a k-pop fan back then blogs used to be how you subtweeted someone yeah like you would go on a blog and say uh i'm so over blah 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 and everyone's like is that about me yeah because back then like like because the internet was so small yeah yeah like once you wrote something on the internet, like people like knew immediately who you were talking about, or you put something in your away message, yeah, or your like your aim profile. Oh god, uh, <laughs> I feel um, so old nuts. talking about this because <laughs> now, like now, kids have like Snapchat and uh, Instagram and TikTok, and it's so much worse now. Yeah, it is so much worse, and like I can't, I can't imagine the pressure to be a young person. Yeah. In this day and age, because I remember, like, 
I got Facebook in junior year of high school. I, I came in late. And we were very upset about that because we were like, Facebook should be for college students only. Because when oh, I really? first got Facebook, it was like, it was in like maybe like 30 colleges. Oh, we yeah. We were part of an elite group of the elite like non-MySpace users. It was know? pretty much Tinder for like, co- <laughs> like really, like, like really nice colleges at that point. Was it like Tinder? It was more no, like... no, because like like it first started with it was kind of like a dating app. Like, oh, is this person was in a relationship it? or not? Or mm. like, is this person attractive or not? And then it evolved into like having See, this. The hot or not part didn't come until later when they started introducing apps. Like when it first started, it was just like it was like Friendster, where you found your friends. Mm-hmm. Like when you meet someone at a party, you you Facebook them, and then like they couldn't even leave like messages. Like it was like you had a wall. Not yeah, a, you had not, like a wall back yeah. then. Yeah, but like I remember like getting Facebook in my junior in like the second half of my junior year, and thinking, "Wow, this is kind of terrible." <laughs> and it's like, I mean, it it is one way to like stay close to your friends, but. Like, I remember thinking at the time where I was like, this is weird. Like, why are people, like, sharing everything on, on yeah. Facebook? So I can't, like, I can't imagine, like, now where, like, It's totally changed. Because yeah. when I first started Facebook, it was to get back in touch with people I've lost touch with. Mm-hmm. Which was different than you. Because, yeah. like, when you got it, you were already... Yeah, sharing you, stuff. You were new people like, in, your, in your community. Whereas I was, like, trying to find people I knew from elementary school, from <laughs> high school... Yeah. Like that. Um, but yeah, I'm going back to Sorry. life at the temple. Uh, so like for the first time, she's kind of like she comes around and like actually enjoys temple life, which is. Yeah, like her, yeah. the temple life um, teaches her how to appreciate each moment because uh, like they thank the toilet when, before they go. They thank the bath yeah. before they take a bath. And it's a way for her to like slow down her life and really appreciate the present yeah and not get so caught up in the past because um now is like so vengeful and i i think you know she she has the right to be vengeful at her classmates and <laughs> her dad and um it's just like a way for her to just concentrate on the good things in life yeah which is i i think a buddhist teaching i'm not sure like being present is definitely a Buddhist teaching. It's like a Zen thing, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, also, improv teaching. Improv teaching. <laughs> she finds, uh, like, she learns about her uncle, who was a kamikaze pl- yeah. pilot, while she's at the temple, right? Yeah. And then she ends up idolizing him, I guess, because... So this is where like the teenness comes in, right? Like the not understanding, or also the dual narratives. Because, yeah, like because you get Ruth's point of view on like the and she letters has the power too. Of Google and also friends that can translate letters. Yeah, that's the thing because like it's not just the diary that's included in the Hello Kitty lunchbox. Yeah. It's like these letters, um, not letters. Uh, there's like, like there's a diary, there's a watch, and there's like. I think they're letters. They're like are they letters? Oh no, no, they, they are letters. Yeah, yeah. written in French. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Right, and you learn that this is so she reads. So this is this is where it gets like the, the sort of meta meta ness comes in because like there's asymmetrical information between the characters and the other characters and you, right? So you know what Ruth knows, but now does not know what Ruth knows. Mm-hmm. 
<laughs> like, but then there are things that Ruth doesn't know about now. Yeah. Like she's like, when did she get the letters? And yeah. yeah, that becomes like a question that gets answered at the end of the novel. I mean, kind of. Kind of. <laughs> um, but yeah, you, you. So this is this is a really interesting part in the book where uh, now gets really really interested in her uncle's um, story because her uncle is someone who decided to like bravely die for his country. Um, whereas you you know through Ruth's half the story at the same time that her uncle actually didn't want to, yeah, and was like really like now idolizes her uncle for putting up with bullying and remaining strong, which I guess is something that she doesn't see in her father, yeah, right, and then who who shares the same name by the way, yeah, her dad is Haruki Yasutani number two, number two, um, because he's the do- he's the son of. Haruki number one sister. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and Ruth knows that that's not the case and still desperately wants to. It's like, it reminds me of um, watching like soap operas. Like, oh, yeah. <laughs> or like any, any, any drama really where you know more than the character and you wish they would just stop being dumb about it. It, it's it's kind of how I felt. We're bringing Terrace House back again because I, I I finished the uh, the part three uh-huh. of the batch that just came out, and there were so many parts in so many episodes in that part where I was like, why don't they just talk to each other? <laughs> because like you hear a conversation between two characters, and then yeah. like you're just like, if that conversation took place with that character and the other character that they're having problems with, yeah. then everything would be resolved so much faster. And, I mean, with this book, it's like, okay, all she needs is to find these secret letters and translate them from French, and she would know the whole story. Yeah. And things would be better. But how how does that happen? With, like when it, How does that happen when it's already happened? Yeah. And well, also it's like she left Temple, so it's just yeah. like when does she get those letters? Like <laughs> when when are those going to come out? Yeah. Um, I heard from uh, an interview that Ruth Ozeki did. I, I forgot which one, but she mentioned how um, there was like this book. I don't remember the title, but it was a book that was just filled with uh, kamikaze pilot letters mm. to uh, to their parents, to their wives, and. Um, she was saying how most of those kamikaze pilots were like the brightest at their colleges. And mm. they were very much like Haruki Yasutani, number one, who, you know, who was fluent in three different languages. He was like, he, a, he was like one of those like, like melancholic, like <laughs> literature majors. Yeah, right? yeah. Just like very emotional, very like. Like he was majoring in philosophy and yeah. he like his whole deal was um, I don't want to fight in this war because. You know that's murder, yeah. <laughs> and, I mean, and I'm a pacifist. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, like she, a lot of that inspiration was drawn from her research in that. I'm not sure if that was there before, like in her original draft, or like. I wonder if there were actual like secret letters too, because you have to imagine all the letters that they actually sent to their family was like. Oh yeah, it was like, ones, like yeah, it was, cens- censored. Yeah. Um, I'm sure. I'm sure there were secret letters or yeah. or something, some form of um, message that the government didn't. Yeah, sense. yeah. I mean, because you know, Japanese people have this, like, especially during the the war, they have this perception of being like just like cogs in the machine. But I mean, everyone's 
people are people. Like people have their own thoughts too. Yeah. And especially since his mother is a like pretty much a like a radical leftist, right? Yeah, that was interesting too. Like she, she was like very much like a. This is Chico. Yeah, this is Chico. Like she, she's like a radical. She, like, she advocated for feminism during like a period where, like, that was not really a concept. Japan. (laughs) Yeah. And then, like at the end, like she was ready to also like you know die when Mm. her son died, but then she decided, no, I'm going to become a nun. Yeah, because her son was just like, take care of my sisters. Yeah. Uh, and like the whole reason why he hadn't uh, killed himself during training or whatever was because he wanted his family to get the pension that uh, yeah. Kamikaze pilots got. And at that, like, I'm not sure what year it was when he got drafted into the war, but I th- I'm guessing that this was towards uh, the end of the war where Japan was badly losing. Mm. And that was why they were drafting all these young men, because there were no other fighters at that point. Yeah. Well, it reminds you of... um, And I think they mentioned this um, in the book about the the one remaining soldier in, like, was it the Philippines or something? That, like, didn't come out till, like, years after the war, because in his mind the war was still going on, because the only way that Japan lost the war was if there was no more japan was that was, i'm, was I'm that? not sure i've never heard of this before it sounds fascinating though okay i'm gonna google it later um i might have heard that from somewhere else but yeah, i guess um touching on that um a lot of the book like the major themes and major conflict comes from like like bullying and, and suicide no this is a topic that that you <laughs> yeah get really really you, you, get, you get triggered about i guess I get why she, she it's, it, I mean, suicide within J- Japanese culture is like a thing, right? Yeah. It's, it's like a, a part of their. Yeah, I have, I actually like turn, uh, I actually marked the page where uh, Haruki, her dad, now's dad, uh, explains why suicide is so prevalent <laughs> in Japanese culture. Uh, he says, throughout history, we Japanese have always appreciated suicide. For us, it is a beautiful thing that gives meaning and shape and honor to our lives forever. It is a method to make our feeling of alive most real. For many thousands of years, this is our tradition. Because, you see, this feeling of alive is not so easy to experience. Even although life is a thing that seems to have some kind of weight and shape, this is only an illusion. Our feeling of alive has no real edge or boundary. So we Japanese people say that our life sometimes feels unreal, just like a dream. Yeah. So... And it's something that is a theme for both Haruki's mm-hmm. and for now too, maybe through influence of yeah of her uncle and her father, and also just being bullied. And bullying is a big part of it. And um, I don't want to touch too much about it. Just I, I want to say that it it, it is a theme, um, and it's used as a like the conflict to get over. Right? Yeah, and it, I think it, that's it's that's, definitely like a motif in, in the book because yeah. like you have. Haruki number one, who is drafted into this war, and once he gets into training camp, he realizes how uh, how like the senior uh, senior officers they're bullying like the new recruits, yeah. and uh, that is how they exercise power. And um, and then you have Haruki's dad, who is 
who's ironically bullied by his daughter, yeah. who is getting bullied at school. Right. And she's bullying her dad because she, she doesn't think he lives up to the family name or the uncle. And also, like... Um, uh, and also, she bullies a, a kid at her school, yeah. Daisuke. Yeah. Which she also, like, later feels regret about. Um, and, I mean, at the same time, her now his father's also played by guilt. And, I mean... A, a big part of this book is also the, the the way that history shapes, yeah. you know, families, right? And you lay, learn later that, or you learn, this is another one of those asymmetrical things where you learn early about why Haruki's, uh, why Haruki number two, or Harry, is so invested in the Iraq war. Mm-hmm. It's because he designed the the drone controls to make it fun. To, yeah. Like, you know. And he was bullied drones. Because uh, like he he was bullied by his company. Yeah. Because uh, when he invented it, he wanted it for computer games, yeah. and uh, his company decided to sell it to the military. Yeah. And he was just like, "Why are you doing that? Like, don't do that." And then they fired him because he wanted was... to like include ethical like constraints. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like they fired him, and that was the reason why he had no money yeah. because he invested all of his uh, savings into the company's stock. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, dot-com bubble bursted, yeah. like, right after he, he left. And he so. lost everything, yeah. And so there's a lot of, like, guilt, too. Um, it all goes into justifying why he is depressed for most of the book. Yeah, and then with now, the reason why she bullies Daisuke is, I, I mean, originally it was to, like, find out, like, what her yeah, classmates were up to, but then, like, it got to a point where she could have easily let Daisuke go, and mm-hmm. she knows this. And um, and she realizes that she feels powerful when she's doing it. And yeah. like be- because she's like holding the knife, she's like, I'm in control. And like it's like a small it's a, it's a small amount of control. But she's like, this is the one <laughs> one time yeah. that I, I am not like the one who is like down on the ground. I mean, it goes to show how the cycle bullying like it's yeah. perpetuated um and then you see this in uh in the classroom as well where like now his homeroom teacher is a substitute teacher right yeah and he's like a complete loser because substitute <sighs> teachers are considered uh considered losers uh, according to like the the classmates and in, in, in that in, yeah. in now's homeroom but but like he, he's he's someone who is like not conventionally attractive he's someone who uh constantly seeks approval so yeah. that makes him like a prime target for bullying and he he plays along with the classes like he like turns a blind eye to their abuse of of now mm-hmm. and I, yeah i didn't like that guy at all he was yeah he like yeah. as an authority figure he totally failed yeah i can only speak from like from like a like how bullying is done in korea but mm-hmm. but it is like very similar in a sense that like a lot of the teachers are complicit in the abuses that happen in their in their classroom because they themselves are because they, they themselves are bullied or um like i'm not sure if same in in japan it probably is to some extent but um a lot of the times, the bu- like the bullies, they're people who come from powerful families, right? Sorry. Um, a lot of the time, like bullies in the classrooms, they're actually like the top students, or they come from powerful families, mm-hmm. and therefore, when the teacher goes to the principal 
and says like this this kid is bullying all the rest of the kids like right they get f four they yeah they <laughs> they um they're kind of like why are you trying to like start waves like just keep yeah. your head down and the same thing and like the whole um I forgot what now called it, but when she was completely ignored by all of her classmates, like that is something that happens really regularly in mm. in Korean bullying. We call it wangdang. <laughs> Actually, I wang wangda. I think. Okay. Yeah, I think that's the word. I. Uh, but yeah, it's like a type of bullying where you don't exist to the class, where uh, you know they don't say your name, or when they do, it's like in third person. They yeah. don't like direct. Uh, their commentary to you and um yeah like and for now that's pretty devastating because she's already isolated she's already isolated and um her her grandmother teach her great grandmother teaches her um about being present right mm-hmm. by saying like everyone is a time being <laughs> and and for now who is suddenly like ignored by her classmates yeah. Like she's no longer a time being because, like, yeah. yeah, they they don't acknowledge her existence. So, um, yeah, and and the bullying like escalates, and there there is a very like graphic scene of of bullying in in the book that kind of I don't know if it came out of nowhere, but I don't know if it was necessary to like drive. I mean, I guess it was necessary to drive her think, over the edge. I guess I think it was. It, it does drive her over the edge, but yeah. I would say it drives her father more over the edge yeah. because uh, what happens is she gets sexually assaulted at school, um, and it's video and it's recorded and it's yeah. uh, released to um, it's released online and there's like a bidding war for her uh, stained underwear and her father. Um, her father, like under like an anonymous username, tries, tries to, to out for, yeah. outbid uh, this other person because he doesn't want uh, his daughter yeah. to like to have that shame, I guess. Yeah. But then, like, but then, like, but now it takes it the wrong way, right? And he, the fact that he bids on it, and she knows that he bids on, knows that she knows that he knows, and yeah, that's worse. I feel like so. I, I know that you had some issues with the way this this book deals with suicide and. Yeah, um, I think I can divide uh, books that talk about suicide into two different categories, and it's books that were written by people with uh, with mental illnesses, and they're writing for people with mental illnesses. And uh, the other category are books that are written by people who aren't mentally ill and experience it either through like secondhand, uh, like or they know a friend who has mm-hmm. gone through it, and they write the book to to pretty much put the reader in the character's shoes and say like this is what it feels like to have mental illness or go through it but at the same time like it's sometimes like really bad authors they do it in a way where it's not accurate at all but mm-hmm. i feel like with Ruth Ozeki she did capture the horrificness of it uh, mm-hmm. pretty well, like so accurately to a point where it was really hard for me to read this book. Yeah. And I was really, really mad that no one gave me trigger warnings because <laughs> I didn't read the I didn't read the jacket description because I had put my blind faith in people who mm. were like, I know you would love this book. And I'm like, huh, why do you think that I would love this book? Because like because I have gone through through suicidal idea ideation before mm. but 
Um, I'm definitely one of those people who like prefer not to be in the reader's shoes when they're going through stuff like that because I've already gone through it mm. and I don't really need to relive that trauma. Um, but another reason why I had a problem with it was because it specified um, it specified like methods of suicides. Like when Haruki, her dad, is writing a letter, yeah. he's like, it's like, oh, this is the number one way. This is it's like, oh, like a group of a group of people can like come together in like a suicide club, and then this is how would they, how they would die. And then for me, that that is like a huge deal because. Like when people, it's scientifically proven that if someone hears about how suicide is actually done, they're more likely to do it themselves if they are in if they're in that state of if mind. they're in that state of mind. So I was I was like not okay with that, and uh, I was also not okay with the like towards the end of the chapter when the quantum mechanics stuff happens, <laughs> and there's a scene where. Um, I mean, we'll jump back to it later, but there's a scene where Ruth finally meets uh, Haruki, number two, now his mm-hmm. dad, and she tells him, like, don't you think that you're being selfish? Like, w- like you shouldn't want to kill yourself, think about your daughter. And for me, that that is, like, the number one big no-no. Like, you do not tell uh, anyone who is in that state of mind because really, like, if you say, like, isn't that selfish, that makes them feel worse and mm. more prone to um, to going through with suicide. And also, um, the, all the things that you tell them, like, oh, don't, don't you think, like, think about your family and your loved ones. They've thought about it. And for to them, in in, like, a very twisted way, they think that they are better off disappearing better off, yeah. than sticking around. And they have done all of the uh, gymnastics in their brain. And to say that you are being selfish for wanting to kill yourself, that that is something that I was totally not okay with. And um, to be pretty honest, like this book was very, very brutal for me to read. Like like I've mentioned um, other books in this podcast where I'm like, I need to set this down because like it's too much. But... uh, for this book, like it, it really, really was brutal because uh, now as a teenager, and I've gone through that as a teenager, and yeah. it's like it's like that's that's why like now's story resonated w- with me so much because it's like when you're a teenager, uh, so you're in your headspace a lot, and uh because there are so many things that are not in your control you tend to blame other people and you realize in the book that that blame can have dire consequences yeah and i mean um going back to the like the asymmetric information about like the meta is like a lot of what ruth is her anxieties with now stories just like if i just can just break through to her and tell her like all the things that i know that she doesn't know yeah. Things will be okay. Like she'll like have more perspective, I guess. Yeah, like more perspective and uh and just like not glorify yeah. suicide because like she this entire time she thinks that 
uh, her uncle died bravely for his yeah. country and like filled his mission even though he didn't want to. And that was another problem I had. Uh, you don't compare other people's sufferings to your own and mm-hmm. or to other people. You, you you don't say like, hey, this person is going through depression and they have like they have like a successful career. Why? Why don't you have a successful career? You you have the same mental illness. <laughs> like like that part I was like I was really not okay yeah. with. But but like I think it is accurate to how um people are bullied into into thinking that yeah. way and also um, how a teenager who is also bullied would adopt, will, will not adopt, but like yeah. be influenced to say horrible things to her dad like that. I mean, I, I guess it comes down to also like the conversation about how to talk to people about suicide have has evolved since this book came out. And this book came out in 2014. Yeah. I think it's either 2014 or 2013. But yeah, and the sad part is, since then, there's been a lot of high-profile suicides that have forced people to talk about. Yeah, and and society has become like as like kind of a as politically like trash fire it's become in like the in politics in terms of like, how people talk about mental illness and um, and differences. I think the conversation has evolved since then. It has evolved, but it makes me wonder how much it has evolved in other countries. Mm. Because, uh, like, I I don't think uh, Japan really has a lot of psychiatrists or, like, therapy isn't really... Uh, I mean, mental in, illness is, like, uh, still, like, the number one non-issue in yeah, Asian countries, right? Yeah, and it's just, like... With and, and they have such a high rate of young suicides, right? So it, it's just like it makes me question: like, have they done anything to seriously curb that? Have they like implemented guidance counselors and and like and I guess like intervention? Yeah, and even then, are is it culturally like? Yeah, is it culturally acceptable? acceptable? To, like, seek help. Like, not everyone can go to a. Zen temple and like yeah, I mean that was yeah. briefly mentioned when uh, now says that she is pretty sure she has ADD mm-hmm. and like a lot of her classmates in Sunnyvale had ADD as well or ADHD <laughs> and they all took like medication for it except her because like her family yeah like culturally they're not very experienced in seeking medication for uh for ADD or any other um. Any other like disorders or illnesses, yeah. and like her her best friend, like one of her classmates asks her, "Hey, how come you don't have any medication?" <laughs> and her her best friend goes, "Now doesn't need medication. She's Japanese." <laughs> and then he just like backs off, and and it's just like wow, like that. I wonder. I, I read that as a commentary on like how Americans kind of over medicate sometimes. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah, definitely, but also like for. For uh, like it, it's weird because it's just like oh she, her best friend is pretty much saying like oh she doesn't need medication because right. she she's tough she has like samurai samurai warrior spirit <laughs> or like <laughs> Japanese robot or something yeah yeah, yeah. so I, I like I thought that was really funny and yeah. it's like two completely opposite scenarios where it's like over medication and absolutely no medication <laughs> yeah um. 
I guess that that brings us to the weird uh, quantum physics and yeah. parallelism. Like and... I mentioned earlier, I felt like the I, I I understand why. Like I I I understand why. Actually, I don't really understand why. That was in the book. <laughs> it kind of bogged things down for me at the end. Like I, I understand like that it's used to explain how we perceive the world. Mm-hmm. But I kind of felt like I was reading a lecture towards the end about quantum mechanics in yeah. Schrodinger's cat. I mean, with um, we are we are in a very strange position where Ruth is a reader when she is also the writer. Yeah, and I think it just speaks to how like how powerful the relationship between a writer and a reader can be, mm. and it like the reader kind of wants to reach out to the characters well, all the time yeah, and the, like her as a reader act actually like affects the outcome yeah maybe <laughs> through her dream yeah well yeah. maybe through her dream and also i mean like it doesn't happen out of the blue it feels like it but there are hints of uh quantum physics and like yeah. uh, and like time jumps happening in the book I mean, where the book erases itself and adds and like fills up yeah. like it's there's like there's there are some weird like there's some like yeah like words disappear yeah. and then also like when she's looking up stuff for Jiko yeah. like the article that she halfway read like, disappears as well and she well, can't find it that was because of the, the electrical storm yeah yeah <laughs> I I did enjoy that part because it reminds me of like sometimes when I when I was doing research back in grad school I had to like download those like yeah academic and it's always like yeah you have to. Here is like the synopsis. You have to buy the the full report, and it's yeah. always like too much money. I mean, didn't your school have like Nexus? Uh, I forgot the site. Wow, it's been so long since I've oh, gone Lexus to Nexus. Yeah, Lex- Lexus yeah. Nexus. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's how I got like most of the academic yeah. papers. I don't know. Um, but yeah. maybe maybe times had changed by um, the time you graduated and I went to college. No, it was, it was still there. It was still there. Um, and then um. Yeah, her dad, um, so Harry, after, like, coming out of his depression, decides to dedicate his life to programming security software to mm-hmm. prevent whatever happened to his daughter to happen to anyone ever again. And creates, like, a way to erase yourself using quantum, like, quantum spiders or something? Yeah, what something something like that. Like, I think the whole deal is, like, if it depends on, like, Google searches. Yeah. Like... Like if people, um, there's like a number of searches, and then like the the little quantum spider will yeah. uh, slowly erase it, so people can't find it anymore. And then I forgot. I think it was Oliver who suggested maybe that was what, like, maybe that reached out through other realities and erased stuff from yeah. other realities as yeah. well. It's, it's very unclear about that. And like with Ruth's dream, she's at the Zen Temple, and she. Uh, well, she's at Oweno Park first to oh yeah yeah intervene with her with um, with uh, Harry's yeah um, plans and then he and then she goes to the Zen Temple and she puts the uh, Haruki number one's letters, letters in, in the box in the cremation box yeah and that is when she finds the letters but you wonder if that is that is what happened or <laughs> if like well, I guess like that. That is what caused it because the pages disappear and then reappear. Yeah. But then you don't know if Ruth is like going, like <laughs> Ruth has gone so obsessive that that like something happened or. I mean, it's it's fiction, so uh, it's fiction. I mean, I'm guessing that it's yeah. She it, like traveled into their. It's like yeah. It's like wanting to 
it's like what you said, like wanting to go into the world of fiction yeah. and like essentially if, if if she did what she did, then like it changes the trajectory of the story. Yeah, right? she and then like there there are also hints of like parallel universes and time jumps with the crow that keeps popping up. Like the yeah. Japanese crow. Yeah. And it's the, like the where did that crow. it's like where did that come from? And then like with Pesto, like he disappears for a while yeah. and and like for a second, I thought he crossed over to now a story because like there was a cat in now now like yeah. when now is at the temple. I'm like, is that is that pesto? I'm not <laughs> sure. Uh, but yeah, there's like hints here and there. But I do feel like when I got to the portion where Ruth is having that dream, mm-hmm. I was like, where did this come from? <laughs> I was like, I I would have much preferred if it didn't go there. If it was just like alternate perspectives and then you get a conclusion or um there's this manga that i really really like it's called orange Mm -hmm. and i forgot the author's name i'm so sorry but um it's the premise is it it takes place in high school and a new uh new transfer student comes in and uh the main character this girl who attends the same school as him she gets mysterious letters and each letter is like marked with a date and she finds out that uh, that new transfer student is going to kill himself by the end of the year. Oh. So, like, what happens is, like, her future self had sent let- letters to her past self uh, to tell her, like, what happens each day and what to do. But then halfway through um, halfway through the letters, like, since she has changed events, like, things don't happen oh. the way according to the letters. So she has to, like, improvise. So it's like Lake House or... Meets early edition. Yeah, yeah. But, like, I really liked the way time worked on that. Because, like, mm. cause like the the theory of, like, having parallel timelines, that, that is introduced as well. Yeah. And I was like, oh, I think that was done really, really well. And, um, <laughs> and like, I also play this game called the Zero Time Escape series. And mm-hmm. that is, like, that entire game is just jumping from timeline to timeline. So you can, like figure out a way to escape from like it's like an escape room but you you only have the information to solve the puzzle if you have jumped to other timelines and failed and then go back into into the right timeline so like i feel like i would have preferred it more if this book either like delved into that theory more or just taken it out completely it kind of feels like at at its core like you said it's it's about the reader's relationship with the writer right yeah like a a reader's relationship with a work and their personal investment in that narrative as it goes along um i wonder when the quantum like when did it occur to the author to explain that using quantum mechanics and yeah to me it did feel a little like it it bogged it definitely bogged down the last like fourth of the book for me i know uh i know ruth has said in like past interviews that uh she gets inspired a lot by the articles that her husband sends her <laughs> so i i'm guessing that he sent her an article about quantum physics right. and like like parallel universes and she's like i'm going to put that in my book I mean, and any, anytime you deal with like timelines and multiple like parallel universe theories like it's, it's like a whole other discussion yeah. like the way that each piece of fiction deals with it is different like the way that she deals with it the, the way that charles you deals with it the, the way that um um, virtue's last res- virtue's last resort. Or yeah, yeah. Uh, virtue's time? last reward, zero time yeah. escape. Yeah, um, deals with it. It's it's you know, but it's important to have like consistency. 
Yeah. In, in, uh, yeah, I felt like there was consistency in the dual narratives. Mm-hmm. And and then it was like, what happened? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, like, we had some Goodreads members uh, really like this book. I, I know that there for some people, this was their second time reading it for uh, for book club. And I know that some people have read this before and they've left reviews um, on the yeah. book on Goodreads. Overall, it's like I think our book club members uh, really enjoyed it. Do we have any? Yeah, specifically um, um, book club member Lauren, uh, she re- she re- um, she reread this book for the first time since 2014. And... She said that the book felt more introspective this time around um, as she took in the magical realism, quantum physics, and all of us out of this world hypotheses um, in stride. Um, I guess it's one of those books where I guess the second time you read through it, you like it's like watching like a Michel Gondry like or like a Charlie Kaufman movie where the first time you're kind of you're you're slapped in the face with how out of the world this is, mm-hmm. and then the second time you read it, you kind of notice what it's actually trying to say yeah right but she did mention that maybe it's because of her own struggles as a writer that she was able to relate to ruth more Uh, because of the writer's block and and finding inspiration and (laughs) the struggle is real yeah and um julie wrote that the blending of zen buddhism with quantum theory was also neat she writes uh i get that placing now in the path of something deadly and not resolving it makes her simultaneously alive and dead but it's not the catharsis i was looking for you know, I do want to talk about that last scene, though. Like that, there. After Ruth talks to uh, Now's father, Now Now's father goes to the countryside mm-hmm. into the Buddhist temple, and um, and they what, during the funeral they find the letters, and it is like this moment of, um, like they they're finding like finding common ground. You it know? kind of feels like a. I guess like she is the Deus Ex Machina, right? Like yeah, that, yeah. That, like resolves the story in a, in a neat way. Yeah, in a very yeah, in a neat way. But at the same time, it you know it does feel like it comes out of nowhere. And mm-hmm. I guess that that does come with like <laughs> not not a fully satisfied feeling of like now and her father resolving their issues on their own because yeah. it was like kind of pushed together. And then, th- and then there's that scene where, like, Jiko, because she's a Buddhist nun, she writes. She's supposed to write a poem, yeah, uh, before she dies, and she writes one character, and it's live, yeah, in and, kanji, yeah, in kanji. And I mean, to me, I felt that was kind of. I was like, okay, like, whatever. <laughs> like, I, I felt very blasé about that because, because, uh, like. I mean, it, it goes it goes with your your issues with how they dealt with like overcoming suicidal. Yeah, well, right? it, it's just like the whole like like when when you are on a uh, on a deadline to to live, you start to appreciate everything in life, and it's just like I like I really don't like that narrative because I've seen it so often in movies. It's mm. just like think it's like think about all the things that you can live for, and everything is like much more beautiful because you know that you're gonna die, and it's yeah. and it's just like okay, like I don't know if that that is like a Buddhist thing because you're like like the whole like Zen stuff where you're like you're in the present and you should like appreciate life for what it is but but um I'm i actually not sure <laughs> but like yeah like 
I I didn't feel catharsis either mm. by how things got resolved, but I did appreciate like how, like after now and her father finds the letters, they're like let's let's figure it out together. And, yeah, and uh, there's I mean, kind was, of like this camaraderie of like let's live. And, it was a warm moment for sure in, in a book where like you're kind of just frustrated at them for not talking to each other yeah. the entire time, and then they're finally talking to each other. Yeah. <laughs> I said earlier on in this podcast that a lot of people came up to me and said, this is essential for Asian American literature. And I just wanted to, um, I guess, like, get your take on it. Do you think it is? I mean, as with any book that I read for this book club, I'm glad I read it. I'm not sure if I don't feel like it's not a book that I would recommend to everyone Um, like it, it's won a lot of awards and like I think it does deserve that. I think it does a lot of interesting things that um, really make the story, uh, I guess, stand out in literary fiction. And uh, and like, it, like it's sold a lot of copies and and I and, and by that merit alone, I do think it is it is very much an important book in Asian American literature, at least like history wise. Mm-hmm. Cause I don't think like, yeah, it, like a book like this has gotten that many awards before or been nominated for that many awards. Um, but I do, the way I feel like it is, is like how joy luck club is essential reading for Asian American literature. Yeah. But I don't, ever want to read joy luck club because it is so depressing <laughs> like and it's just like it's important I but we, at the same time i don't want to read it i think we talked about this how like how prestige fiction has to be depressing for it to be like essential and that's i don't mean i mean I mean, we say this as, like, in a very, very broad general sense. Like, yeah. it's definitely not, like, there there are books out there that are very funny and light, and they win a lot of awards. Yeah, but, I, guess, I guess for me, it's, like, um, a lot of the things that they covered about Japanese culture was stuff I already knew about. Yeah. So it wasn't as, like, fresh from my perspective. Yeah, so yeah, same right. here. I mean, there were a lot of footnotes in this book. And mm-hmm. I actually read the first half of the, half of this book through uh through audio. And I actually wish I listened to the entire book in audio, but at See, but I, like I couldn't finish it because the because I borrowed this from the library uh, and then my my trial, not my trial, but like my audio book rental ran out and I was like, "No." <laughs> I listened to it at 2x speed on Audible. And when you listen to on 2x speed, the now sections actually sound like a teenage girl talking because it's a lot of like, yeah, you know, a lot of speed, like when you speed something up, it makes it sound like it's like a hyperactive teen talking, yeah. you know, as if like, it's like, I need, I need you to know my thoughts yeah. and like gushing about it. So and... I think that actually, that actually added to my, my experience of it. Yeah. But like in the audiobook, they, um, like the footnotes are weaved into, uh, into the book. Okay. So like. So like Ruth, um, so there'll be like a Japanese word, and then like when you're reading the actual physical book, you have to like go down to the footnotes and like be right. like, oh, it's like, oh, what what is that? But in but in the audio book, uh, in the narration, it's just like Japanese word, and then the and then Ruth Ozaki, who is a narrator, she yeah. says like, oh, and that's what it is, and <laughs> like I really appreciated that because. Um, even though I knew a lot of Japanese culture and a lot of the words that they use in this book, 
I always got curious. I was like, oh, what what are those footnotes? And it would <laughs> and it would really take me out of of like reading reading yeah. the story. So I really appreciated reading this through through audiobook. Yeah. And I mean, even the the quantum physics stuff. Like, I watched a lot of like really heady anime growing up, <laughs> and played video games. So I was also kind of familiar with. Yeah. Um, and as people know, I like sci-fi fantasy. So you know. Yeah, I kind of groaned when Schrodinger's uh, cat showed up in the book. I'm just like, <laughs> oh no! Like, it's like it's like I I have read this concept way too many times. I think that's why it bogged me down at the end because like Oliver literally explains the experiment. Yeah. During I mean, I'm chapters. sure it's yeah. really cool for people who like are unfamiliar unfamiliar yeah. with it. But yeah, we're. <laughs> We're, we're huge nerds. We're, so. Yeah, we're really big nerds. So, <laughs> so it's like, okay, yeah. go back to the story about now <laughs> yeah. and her father. Um, but yeah, um, on that note, I guess that'll do it for this discussion of Ruth Ozeki's A Tale for the Time Being, our July Book Simple Book Book Club pick. Um, thank you all for listening along with us. And if, if, you, if you have any thoughts uh, about our thoughts to share, um, please go to our Goodreads forum and sound off. Um, we always love to hear your perspectives on the books that we read. And you can find our forums either by going to Goodreads and searching Books and Boba or just um, check out the Goodreads link at booksandboba.com. Uh, but yeah, on that note, again, Reaver, what's our August book club pick? Oh, it's a book that you've never heard of. <laughs> it's called Crazy Rich Asians by Kevin Kwan. Yeah. And, um, it's the movie's coming out next week. The books are everywhere. Yeah. You literally can't not avoid this book right now. So, um, since, since uh, it's going to be interesting because I read the book before uh, the movie came out, mm-hmm. and I, after I watched the movie, and then Marvin has not, not read, read the, the book, book yet. yet. So it'll be interesting. So it'll be interesting to like compare notes. Yeah, yeah. I'm excited and also frightened. Why because, frightened? <laughs> well, because I love the movie so much. Yeah. And and I know that there's a lot of like debate about Crazy Rich Asians and like um and like its problems uh, of like not showing so- like Southeast Asian rep- like representation I mean, and yeah. there, I I know like I know the debate on Twitter like I've I've read it and I think everyone brings something valid to the table and we're definitely like, definitely going to talk about it more in our yeah. book club discussion. So stay tuned for that. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, grab the book if you haven't grabbed it yet. Um, rent it from rent it from, borrow it from your library, or I'm sure at least one of your friends has it, so you can borrow it from. Them yeah, as I'm, well. I'm pretty sure. Um, oh, or I, get, get the new imprint of it with, um, with Constance the, Wu and Henry Golding on the cover. Yeah, I saw that like at the bookstore, and I was <laughs> like. I always get thrown off when uh, when they do that when yeah. they put like the movie movie people on the book cover and I'm just like sometimes the sticker now now a movie now a major motion picture I mean like sometimes like the movie picture for for the book cover is like nice because mm-hmm. it's like oh like the design is like cool but yeah. I don't know how I felt about like seeing the new <laughs> cover I was just like oh like. It's a book, though. Why That's is this true. movie poster? The I mean, cover? The, the motif for the original cover is actually used in the credit sequence of uh, of Crazy Rich Asians. Oh, really? Uh, I, 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 I just watched the final cut of it on Monday, 
and yeah, it's 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 really interesting. Anyways, yeah, go. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> definitely go watch the movie. Um, whether you watch the movie first or read the book first, doesn't matter as long as you read the book and come back and check in with us at the end of the month where we will talk about. In, in Books and Boba, we always prefer the book to the movie. But, but I wonder for this time around. I wonder. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Rira, thank you so much for chatting with us. Thank you, Marvin, for having me. <laughs> I mean, we're co-hosts. So. I know, we're co-hosts. <laughs> we're stuck together in a basement. I yep. mean, yeah. Um, and thank you for listening to this episode of Books and Boba. Uh, really quickly, Books and Boba is a proud member of the Potluck Podcast Collective, a collective of Asian-American hosted podcasts featuring unique voices and stories from our rich Asian community. Crazy rich Asian Crazy community. Crazy rich Asian <laughs> community. Um, if you like what you hear, you can check out some of our other great programs, such as They Call Us Bruce, who has a really great panel discussion with Crazy Rich Asians writers and actors. Up now, you can listen to The Collabcast, which is the other uh, pop culture podcast that I host, where we put out an episode talking about all the movies coming out in August. And if you're interested in learning more about Asian American cinema, check out Saturday School, the Asian American film history podcast by our friends Ada Sang and Brian Hu. Um, you can learn more about these shows by going to the website podcastpotluck.com. Um, and thanks to Visual Communications for letting us record in their office. Um, this is where the Potluck Podcast Studio is located. Uh, Visual Communications, of course, is a nonprofit organization that supports Asian American uh, filmmakers. They're the ones behind the Arm of the Camera Fellowship and the Los Angeles Asian Pacific Film Festival. Learn more about VC by going to their website at vconline.org. And um, yeah, we're, we're looking for boba sponsors. <laughs> yeah, if, you, if you're a boba shop, like, please sponsor us. Yeah. I'm not begging or anything. We're just asking nicely. We're just asking nicely. We'll, we'll, we'll drink your boba. Yeah. And we'll <laughs> say that it's good on air. <laughs> All, right. All right. Bye. Bye. Keep reading, guys. <laughs> <laughs>